We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is mailback time, Ryan. And so we get to Connor O'Doherty here at the beginning. He says, quick question, if there's a mailback today, and there is. Today about a recruit. I'm from Nebraska, and I personally think it's weird that Malachi Coleman is rated higher than Great House and James and Flores on some sites. Uh, I mean, can I say this, Brian? I mean, I think that there's – look, Connor, I think that there's a – there's a fine line between buying too much into the upside and then looking at what the more close to a finished product is, right? Because I think what you see with Jaden Greathouse and Rico Flores, for instance, for me, right, is that they are maybe closer to the ceiling than what a Braylon James and a Malachi uh, Malachi Coleman is, excuse me. But they are, I mean, I expect that both Greathouse and Flores, if as long as they're healthy, will be able to come in and compete early on for Notre Dame because they are dudes in my opinion in that regard the malachi coleman thing versus braylon james i think that's an interesting conversation for me brian because they are both a little bit of projections right like they are i mean they're both extremely tall i mean braylon james is 6-3 reported in the four fours in the 40 yard dash malachi coleman reports a four four something 40 as well but he's six foot four six foot five like he's a tall mm-hmm. dude right so i think why malachi is so highly coveted and i saw him in person and i'll say this like Extremely raw football player. But, I mean, if he hits a ceiling, dude's going to be good. I mean, he's he's a very talented kid, in my opinion, right? But I just think, think that there's – he's a receiver? Do you think that's his best – see, that's, that's kind of – That's what thing. he did at All-American Bowl. I honestly thought yeah. – I thought he was more of a Viper type. Like, that's what I thought he was going to be. But, I mean, he looks like he set on playing receiver in college. So, I guess he's a receiver for now. But, yeah. Yeah. Ryan, here's here's kind of the thing for me is yep. it just shows the inconsistency with which how which with how they apply rankings. Yes, because you can't have Malachi Coleman, for example, ranked higher than Braylon James, and then and then kind of talk about well Braylon's raw, yeah, because so is Malachi Coleman. And with all due respect, I think Braylon James is a better pro- player now at receiver than Michael oh, Malachi Coleman, and a better long term project at receiver than Malachi Coleman. So I think that's it. But I also think, let's be honest too, part of it is he was undecided late. Yeah. And you got to create some buzz. So I just, 
Look, I get it, Ryan. They've fallen in love with certain toolsy guys. I get it. And he's yep. got some ability, as you said. Yeah. But to have him ranked higher than the, the kids from Notre Dame, I just, yeah, I think it just shows I, the, the flaws in the ranking system to me. Yeah. I, I just want them to be consistent with it, man. Like, that's it. Like, if you look at, like, if they had both Malachi Coleman and Braylon James super high, and then they were like mid tier on the Jane Greathouses and the Rico Floreses, I would think you're wrong. Right. But also, I would be like, okay, but I understand why you're like that because you're like, you more, you approach more to the ceiling than you do to the floor. I can get it. But having to your points, Malachi Coleman here and Braylon James down here doesn't make any sense, right? Like they're right. both they're both height, weight, speed freaks. Like they both are. So yeah. if you're going to put those guys in the bucket and raise them up, you got to put both in the bucket. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Earlier, I said Ernest Biner. I meant to say Keith Byers. Keith Byers, yeah. That's who I was talking about. Keith Byers, not Ernest Biner. Uh, similar names, but yes. You just you just had that Denver Bronco fandom in you of Ernest yes. Biner fumbling the on the fumble. goal line. Yes. Yeah. yes. Which stinks for him because he was the reason they were in that game. He was a good football and Denver player. was killing them early in the game. And they came back largely because of how well Ernest Biner played. But yeah, the, Jeremiah Castile, little nugget there. His son became an actor and played Tony Nathan in the movie Woodlawn, a football oh. player in the movie Woodlawn. I think he played at Alabama. His son played at Alabama, but he got out of football because he wasn't he wasn't that that good of a football player. And he played uh, Tony Nathan, and which is a re- if you haven't seen it, it's a really good movie. Uh, okay. It has definitely has a Christian background, but it's it's about like kind of what Tony Nathan went through. He well, I don't think he was the first black player at Alabama, but he was one of, and there was just like a lot of things going on. Sean Astin plays in it. He uh, is from the high school that that uh, Woodlawn is the high school I believe that he went to. Really, gotcha. really cool story. And it begins, the beginning, it begins with the uh, Bear Bryant going to, like, is with how when when one of the reasons Bear Bryant decided to integrate was just getting absolutely demolished by USC, who had already <laughs> integrated. And it yeah. was like, yeah, we need to, 
need, we need to, to change some things because you know we're we're getting destroyed here. But it's just a really fascinating movie. It was a really, really, and really heartwarming, you know, really good. So if you haven't seen Woodlawn, definitely, definitely check it out. So here's a cool story about that. So we saw Woodlawn here in town at, uh, I think it's, what's the, it's like the Morris, uh, the Morris Theater, I think it's what it's called. And it was a uh, sort of a advanced showing, right? Special screening. And the directors and were there and Sean Aston was there who played Rudy. Yeah. And so after the show, we were there like an hour because my wife wanted to get his autograph. And so I was up on stage. I'm not really an autograph guy. It's just not my style, but I was talking to the director and literally we were there for over an hour because, every, because there was this line for Sean Aston, and he mm-hmm. stayed the entire time. Nice. And I said, does he always do this? And the director was like, yeah, he, he said, he said, we'll be at the airport and he'll literally stay there and sign autographs until he has no choice, but to get on the plane. He just, he, 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 he's one of those actors that appreciates, like, I'm here because these people, otherwise nobody cares. Nobody, I'm not doing films because it's not making any money because people aren't going to, because nobody cares. He said, he's genuinely like that way that he just Mm -hmm. appreciates fans and respects fans. And he'll, he'll do pictures and autographs and all that until there's nobody else asking for him. And he did that that night. He stayed until there was nobody else, until everybody got their picture and got their autograph and all that. It was pretty cool. I like hearing stories like that. When you see a famous person that like actually appreciates the people that make him famous. Brian, speaking of speaking of Sean Astin and Rudy for a second, I did an interview recently with a target for Notre Dame in 2024 that will be on the channel sometime soon or will be for the recruiting hour next week. And it was so funny. I asked him about, you know, his opinion on Notre Dame. And he said, you know, my oldest memory of Notre Dame is I once watched this movie with my dad. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Rudy. And I was like, <laughs> yes, like, yeah, I ha- I've heard of it a couple of times. Yes. I've heard of it. it just made me laugh. I'm just like, yep. Everyone knows Rudy, man. Everyone knows it. <laughs> yeah. If you're a Notre Dame fan and haven't at least heard of it, then, you know. I feel like most people know what it is, even not Notre yeah. Dame fans. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, um, yeah, a cool story. But anyway, just yeah. tying all, all that around. So we, we got off on a little bit of a tangent here. So let's get back on track. Quint Gibbler with a mailbag question. He said, uh, what team, if any, would a loss to keep us out? Any team so bad that if we lost to them, we would have a tougher time getting in. I actually don't think that's the case, Ryan. And that's why it's so important to play Ohio State, USC, and Clemson. Right. And we've seen this before. I mean, we saw we saw uh, Clemson in 2016 lose to a mediocre pit team, like eight and five, seven and six pit team. We saw 2017 Clemson lose to a four and eight Syracuse team and get the number one seed in the playoff. Right. Alabama one year lost to a eh, Auburn team and got in. Right. I mean, so uh, Ohio state got obliterated by Purdue one year and still finished what fifth, right. Just outside because there was three undefeated teams that year. If there weren't, look, if Notre Dame would have lost any game that year, any game, Ohio State gets in over them, even with that blowout loss to, to Purdue. So we've seen this plenty of times where teams have like not good losses. It's about who you beat. Yeah. And ultimately, that's the key. You've got to have some big wins. And so to me, it's if they go 3-0 and in the big three and they lose to NC State at home or Duke or Louisville or something like that, I think they're still in unless the other caveat is there's just a bunch of undefeated teams or a bunch of one-loss teams with even better wins and a better loss. 
So if they go 3-0 against the big three, I think Notre Dame's going to be hard to keep out unless they have two losses along the okay. way. I would say the only other the only other caveat is, is if they lose late. But even then, we've seen teams lose late and get in. It just will depend on what's the record of the other teams around them. Well, be. I would just – I mean, if we're assuming that this one loss, this one bad loss is the only loss of the season, right? I mean, you're, you're still right. – hard to imagine keeping a team out that beat Ohio State, Clemson, and USC in the same year. Unless right? those teams like, are all disappointing, sure. right? I mean, that's the other yeah. that's the other part of it. Because remember, everybody thought, oh, the 21 schedule is going to be so hard because Wisconsin and USC was a preseason top fit. And I'm like, no, they're not. You know, Wisconsin was overrated going into that year too. But yep. – if they would have been better in a typical Wisconsin team and a typical USC team, Notre Dame at 11 1 might have been in two years ago. They, sure. they really might have, but they weren't because the t- schedule overall stunk. Insured mm-hmm. by big. This is an LSU fan here, but I'm going to give this guy credit because this is the first respectful that I can remember LSU fan we've had in our chat. So I do appreciate that very much. I mean that. Yes, uh, he says, but no, he's an LSU fan here. But Notre Dame is going to be a beast this year. Good luck. Defense will be strong, and offense will be more balanced and dominating. Definitely a playoff team this year. Well, they're certainly a playoff caliber team. There's still some holes that I mean, and Notre Dame's in the same boat as a lot of teams. Ryan, LSU, Bama. There's a lot of teams with holes to fill in January, and that's what spring ball's for. That's what summer camp is for. That's what fall camp is for is to fill those holes. But I do think Notre Dame is one of those teams. There's probably about seven or eight teams right now to me that if they play to their potential are a playoff team right now. There's always the caveat for a surprise team to make a run. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't know that any of us thought Clemson was going to be that team in 15 until they did it. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. we knew they were going to be good, but were they a playoff team? No, Clemsoning was still a thing at that time. Sure. So there's always that surprise team, TCU this year, that kind of makes that run. Nobody thought Michigan was going to be a playoff team in 21. They just had an abysmal COVID year where they basically quit on their season. And then the next year came out and they played great against a soft schedule and and got into the playoffs, So which they did again this year. So there's always that. But I think there's like seven or eight teams, in my opinion, that kind of you look at the season, if that team is as good as they should be, they're going to have a shot to be a playoff team. And I do think their right. name is in that conversation. I, I really do. Just shout so, out, shout, shout out to this commenter though. That was very respectful. Yeah, I can't believe I mean, it's, it, it's, it's like, why can't we just go talk football? Why does everything got to be like, if you say anything about my team, then you know, you're, you know, um, yeah. Or I can't say anything nice about another team, or I'm like losing my fan card, right? Like, <laughs> it's. Uh, I appreciate that. I respect that for sure. But I mean, they should be. They still have some stuff to prove, like LSU uh-huh. does, like Bama does. You know, I mean, look, Georgia, you expect them because they've won two years in a row, but they're they're going to have holes to fill and questions that need to get answered. It's just the reason okay. they won back-to-back titles is because they answered those questions last year. Yep. And some teams do and some teams don't. I think Ohio State's a team that a lot of people are going to overlook this year because they lost C.J. Stroud. And I'm telling you, number one, their other quarterbacks are talented, Yep. but I think they're going to be a lot better on defense next year. I think their offensive line is going to be more physical. Will it be as talented? No. Will it be more physical? Potentially, because now you're going in year two of Justin Fry. Yes. So teams become – I mean, Georgia won because they had an elite defense in 2021. They won in 2022 because they were much more balanced and their offense could really score. And, and like, I don't the, – the, the Georgia 2020-21 team that won the first title, mm-hmm. they don't beat Ohio State if they give up 41 points. They don't. Sure. They couldn't score enough. The 2022 Georgia team could. 
And that's what makes great teams great teams is, hey, we lost some guys. We, we have to reshape as a team, but this year we're going to be better here than we were over there. LSU for years was a team built on running the football and playing great defense. What did they do the year they won the title? Good on defense, but not elite. But they threw that ball all around the yard, right? It's just about something's got to step up and be a strength. So it's going to be – Ryan, I really think this is going to be a fun college football year because I see a lot of teams getting better yeah. as some of the teams at the top are still really good but maybe not quite as good as they've been, maybe not quite as talented as they've been. You know, mm-hmm. Clemson's kind of – it's not that Clemson's ju- – it's not just that Clemson's falling. They are. It's yeah. that they're falling as other teams are ascending. Other programs are ascending. You know, Pitt is not getting talked a lot about, but they've had two really good years in a row. And doing it last year for them, right? For them, nine and four yeah. for them is a lot different than Notre Dame going nine and four, if we're being honest. But, you know, and then one of their four losses was an overtime loss at Tennessee or again, uh, home against Tennessee. It was so, a good team this year. Yes. Very good team this year. Yes. So yep. Pat Narduzzi's doing a nice job there. They're getting better. Uh, they got uh, Phil Jerkovic in, they got some other talented players in through the transfer portal. So they're they're doing better. Obviously, NC State is kind of just hovering around that eight nine win team, but you know they're recruiting pretty well. I think the Robert and I pickup was a good pickup as an offensive coordinator. I really like that hire, and I, I love what Tony Gibson did with their defense this past year. I mean, they were really good on defense this past year. So I just Florida State's getting a lot better. I mean, Mike Norvell is really turning that thing around, and the buy in there is obvious because so many kids chose to come back. I mean, they had very few kids jump in a portal that weren't just like they had the running back jump in the portal because he was just struggling to, for time. And but you had a lot of kids coming back, a lot of kids turning down. I mean, Jared Verse turning down the NFL, Jordan Travis turning down the NFL. Yeah. You know, uh, not that he'd have been a high draft pick, but it's a sixth year. It's kind of like, you know, I mean, you've been around doing this you, for a while. You got you got two of your most important players back on well, I would say your best player on offense and your best player on defense yeah. came back, right? I mean, that's yeah. So substantial no doubt about it i mean florida state's gonna be a scary like a they're gonna be a good little team not little team they're gonna be a good football team next year yeah they are and and so i think the acc is getting better and as clemson's coming down right yep i think i think alabama's descending a little bit but other Mm -hmm. teams in the west are getting better right i mean lsu brian kelly's right the ship right i'm not most people thought he would suck there he would, but I just don't think he can win a championship there. But he's stable. He's brought some stability to that program to a degree, which was that expected. You didn't have yeah. before, and right. so you're gonna, you're, they're gonna get, they're gonna be good. Uh, Texas A and M had a, a, they're never gonna be as good as people think, but they're a quality team that has almost beat Bama two years in a row, or actually beat Bama the year before and almost beat him again yeah. this past year. So you you look at Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin. They're getting better. They're recruiting better. They're getting transfer portal kids. So the leagues are getting – Kentucky's been good. But, you know, I think Florida's going to – is who, who knows they're going to do. But Tennessee's getting better, right? They're going to mm-hmm. – you know, it, it used to be where Georgia would just have this, like, good Lord, they're just not beating any – the East stinks. There's no good wins there. Well, now, you you if you – to get to the SEC title game, you better have a win over Tennessee. And that's going to look a whole lot better now and in the future than it did two, three years ago. And so I, that's what I like about it. I mean, Oklahoma has dominated the Big 12 for how many years? And they got their booties handed to them, <laughs> you know, the, the, this past year. To everybody, you know, Texas and, and Oklahoma leaving for the SEC. And the, the Big 12 yeah. said, we're going we're gonna to give you a really nice parting gift of beatdowns week after week after week. Yes. So enjoy them. Enjoy them. Now, will, nice. the, will that continue this year, Ryan? That's a right. question. 
That's it, a question. It, had, it has been nice to see Tennessee get back because I mean, I remember when I was younger, like Tennessee was always a good team. You know, like I mean, going Tennessee from the, and Florida used to play in great games every yeah. year when I was in high school in college. I mean, it they played some phenomenal games when Spurrier and Fulmer were both in kind of yes. in their prime. Man, they played yeah. some Pey- great Peyton Manning great to Team Martin, oh, and then I mean, the last probably good team outside of this past year was like what maybe Eric Ainge's last year at Tennessee. Like it's just, it's been a long time, man. It's been a long time. Yeah. So I'm, I'm enjoying, I think the PAC 12 is getting better too. That's another conference is getting better. The big 10 is kind of taken a, a step. There's been some programs that have taken a step back in the big 10, but I thought they had a good off season this year. The last two off seasons, the big 10 has really upgraded its head coaching roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, last year you added Brett Bielema, which is a really good hire. This year, you had our Matt Rule was a good hire, and I think Luke Fickle's overrated as a coach. He's still a good football coach, though. Yeah, he'll do a solid job there. Yep, you know, and so he joins, you know, Kirk Ferentz and you know Ryan Days are going to have talent. Jim Harbaugh's done a great job the last two years. James Franklin did a good job with that team this year. Schedule is soft, but they beat the teams they're supposed to beat this year. I mean, yep. it's a good job. Mm-hmm. Just the rest of the league, you know, PJ Fleck hasn't been what people thought he was going to be. Pat Fitzgerald's always been an overrated coach, in my opinion, and they're just abysmal now. Big Ten has really taken a step. Tom Allen, great guy, good defensive coordinator, not a good head coach. The league has really, you know, Mel Tucker. I mean, do we really know what Mel Tucker is yet? I mean, the jury's out on that one. Big time. You know, so you look at it and you say, boy, the league just wasn't, you know, Scott Frost was a huge disappointment. Mm -hmm. I look at Matt Rule and Brett Bielema. Both joining the league in a two-year span, you just added two coaches to believe in playing physical football, and that's what the Big Ten has to be. And it's gone away from it, in my opinion, which is why I think some of the teams have gone down as they're trying to get too cute. You're not Ohio State. Don't think you can win like that. And Jim Harbaugh said, "We're not going to try to be like Ohio State, like everybody else is trying to be. We're going to yeah. be the anti-Ohio State," which is exactly what he did at Stanford. That's exactly the recipe he brought into the Pac-12. All these teams throwing the ball over the yard and all this speed, and we're going to come in. We're going to go 12 personnel. We're going to run it down your freaking throat because you're not going to recruit to stop what we do. Mm-hmm. You're going to be prepared to recruit to stop what Oregon and USC does, which means you're not going to be able to handle what we do. And that's what he did, and that's what he's done at Michigan, and it's worked. But you're bringing some other coaches that believe in a very similar style of play in Matt Rule and Brett Bielema to the conference. And that's what I thought made what Luke Fickle did by hiring Paul Longo really weird. Phil Longo? Yeah. Phil Longo. <laughs> yeah. Wisconsin running the air raid, man. It's gonna be yeah. fun times. Be fun times. Weird. There's some teams, man, where structurally and historically, it's just them, you know, like that's Wisconsin right. running the right. football. I mean, they it's got Braylon they Allen, recruit, right? I mean, what is exactly. the one? What's one thing that that state produces? They produce two things, mm-hmm. relatively consistently: really good linemen and good running backs. Yeah. Now, some of the better running backs they've gotten have been New Jersey guys. Yes. Right. Monty Ball. Ron Dane. Uh, Ron Dane. The the guy recently was a Jersey guy too. The guy that plays for the Broncos. Melvin Gordon. Melvin was Gordon he a was Jersey, Jersey guy, guy too? I thought mm. so. I could be wrong on that. I might I be was wrong also, too. But. Yeah. But you know, but the point is is like that's a that's a state that produces linemen. No, yes. he's a Wisconsin guy, to my point. Yeah. So they they there do you. produce they'll produce running backs as well. He's a Wisconsin guy. And to your point, I mean, a couple of years ago, they had a, I mean, the Billy Shrouth year, right? They had tremendous oh, gosh. in-state offensive linemen. And then this year, they have one of the better running backs in 2024 and Corey Smith in the state of Wisconsin, too. So, yeah. Yeah. And and they'll also get a lot of Illinois kids mm-hmm. that play offensive line as well. Notre Dame just stole one from them this past year with Christopher Tarek. 
and uh, yeah, it. Uh, yeah, well, it's we'll we'll see. I just, I, I just, I, I can't wait to see how much they, if, if they misuse Braylon Allen, because that kid's a monster, and you're not, and now he's running in an out of an air raid system, so we'll see how that looks. I don't know. Yep. Let's see how. Let's see how it. Definitely, let's see how it looks, Ryan. So let's get to. We did have a super chat down here that I want to get to from Kevin Carter. Thank you, Kevin, Brian, and Ryan. If you are the head coach concerning recruiting. Moving forward, what state that is not currently a pipeline state would you, would be your next state, and what would your strategy to take the would be your strategy to take the territory? So, a state that right now is not considered a pipeline. Mm-hmm. So let's say that obviously, I mean, what state right now is a pipeline for Notre Dame, like a consistent pipeline to Notre Dame? I I think Kevin's. I mean. I mean, so this is spurning off of the that they're trying to make right. Texas a little bit more of a pipeline right. to Notre Saint Dame, Louis, right? Chicago, yeah, Saint Louis, right. right. The first one that popped in my head was Maryland's. Like the, I know we talked about the, the DMV area, area before. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, there's some really good Catholic schools in yeah. Maryland and DC that you need to tap into. I mean, they just offered the Damian Mayo kid, who's obviously a Catholic kid in Maryland. So, but I mean, to math, a Catholic, that's the school that you need to get in occasionally, right? Like you need to get in there. So Maryland was one that popped out pretty quick for me. I mean, that's one where it just makes sense to take some kids from there, you know, because it's like, I mean, yeah, you're going to lose some kids to Alabama occasionally and like those types. Right. But I mean, Maryland's, not super close to Bama, you know, like you right. still be able to get some kids out of there, man. Right. Especially and, with you know, such a high assortment of Catholic schools. You're losing year. kids constantly, constantly to Ohio state and Michigan, yes. which is frustrating, especially Ohio state. Yep. And that's um, really frustrating, but yeah, you should, you should have success there. I think DC is a good one, Ryan. Yeah. I'm going to go out and just say to answer Keith's question that we're going to already include Texas and St. Louis as part of that conversation in Chicago as yep. part of that conversation. They've already started trying to build the pipeline there. Yep. One good year in Texas does not equal pipeline. One good year or two good years in St. Louis does not equal pipeline. But to Keith's question, it's already been established that they're trying to do that. Exactly. I'm going to go with another one, Ryan. Mm-hmm. And it's one that you and I were talking about before the show. Arizona. That's a good one. Because I don't think any of the southeastern states are ever going to be pipelines. There's going to be times when you're going to have success in Georgia. There's going to be times when you get kids out of the Carolinas and, and areas like that. Carolina would be a state that I would strongly consider as as being that. But I kind of think they're already there. I mean, they, they've got a lot of kids out of North Carolina over the years. And even C.J. Procise, I mean, not C.J. Procise, Greer Martini was from North Carolina. He just went to a boarding school in Virginia. But he's a North Carolina kid. But you think of the Alquaras. You think a lot of the kids that have kind of come out of North Carolina in the past years, you already got multiple kids this year. So I kind of already count that one as one. I don't think Pennsylvania produces enough talent that fits at Notre Dame to kind of make that one there, but they still have success there. They've got a couple. I thought of Tennessee's Tennessee's one, but the one that I'm going to go with, because I've already said Tennessee in the past, I've made my case for Tennessee in the past. I'm going to go with a different one and that's Arizona. Because what you're seeing is, what have I always talk about when you when you talk about if you're going to be a good like recruiter, you've got to have a semblance of not just where the talent is now, but where's the talent going to be in five years? Trends. Because you yeah. got to start knowing that that because you're going to start building those relationships now. If you start trying to build a pipeline in a state that everybody else is already also trying to build a pipeline, you're going to have a hard time getting down there. Now Notre Dame did a great job this year in Texas. 
will they be able to continue that if Texas starts winning a lot more games? And if they're in the SEC, I don't know the answer to that. The reason I think Arizona is fascinating, Ryan, is because you're seeing a major population shift from California into Arizona. And if you look at the most recent electoral college changes, California lost numbers. They lost, uh, I think, two seats in, uh, because their population has gone down. And you're seeing Colorado change a lot, become much more of a, uh, a California-type voting state because having lived there, a lot of people from California came there. But you're starting to see over the last five to ten years a lot of California people making their way down to Arizona. And so you're seeing Arizona starting to produce more and more and more big-time talent. And so it's not just because, wow, look how good Benjamin Morrison was. Let's go there again. I think it's a lot of, hey, this is a state that's got some legit athletes. And so why didn't Benjamin Morrison flash on film more than he did to some people? Now, he did to us. But it's because he didn't dominate it the way I think people assumed he should have dominated Arizona football. Right. Because there's a lot of people that still don't understand how good Arizona football is. I thought that's why some people really underrated Anthony Lucas. Now, some had him as a five-star, but I, like one of the outlets, I believe, didn't even have him in the top 100. And I'm like, how did you not have Anthony Lucas in the top 100? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's definitely a top 100. You could debate if he's a five-star or not. That's that's fair. But is he a top 100 guy? Absolutely. And and for a long time, no, no, not everybody had him there. Right? I'm looking at his ranking now. I think there was still one outlet that did not. Yeah, ESPN did not have him in the top 100. Now, of course, they didn't have Quentin Nelson there either, so it is ESPN. But the point is you're starting to see more Elijah Rushings coming out of there, more Elijah Pages, you know, more Benjamin Morrisons. They just offered a kid from Arizona today that if you were on the message board last night, you would have already known that they were going to make this offer to Jeremiah Newcomb, who's a cornerback, Ryan, that you and I both like already a lot. Yes. They're starting to produce more and more athletes. And for Notre Dame, if you're going to create a pipeline outside of your base, it has to be a place that's going to get you skill. Their name doesn't need to go to Arizona to get linemen. Now, that doesn't mean there might not be an occasional kid they like, Tosh Baker, Elijah, Elijah Page, Page. Yeah, right? right? That's fine. Anthony Lucas on the D-line, Elijah Rushing, that's fine. But to truly make a place, a pipeline that you can tap into, the way that they used to tap into California is going to have to be by – it's a place that has skill. Look at Texas this next yes. year. Yes, yeah. And so Arizona can get you skill. They're they're producing running backs, not not great yet. They're pro- starting to produce more more receivers, definitely more DBs, and so that's a state that I'm going to look at and say I think you can steal a kid or two out of there every year. That's a pipeline to me. If you're getting a really good kid every one good kid every year, if you give me a Benjamin Morrison ish player every year out of Arizona, that's a pipeline to me. Yep, because it's a steady flow of players. Sometimes some states the pipeline's five or six. Some states it's one or two. When you're recruiting 20 to 25 kids a year, you're not getting six or seven kids out of a state like you used to, where you'd get that many kids out of Pennsylvania or, or you know, because back in the day, Notre Dame would just kind of big chunks of their classes were like in a region. It was like, you know, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Pitt, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Jersey. Like you go back and look at the 1988 football team. There's a ton of kids from Illinois. I think in that article that you had the other day, Ryan, it was I think 20, we had like right? 20. Yeah. Now, some of them were walk-ons, but like you had like five or six starters in the lineup that were just from the Chicago area alone. Yep. You know, Chris Zorch obviously being one. Uh, Tim Grunhard didn't even start on that team. 
you know, Jeff Alm was another one from Chicago. Uh, Dewan Fran- George Streeter was from Chicago. Stance Magala was from a, a, right outside of Chicago. Some some pretty good players from there. And then you'd have a lot of kids from Ohio, a lot of kids from Pennsylvania, a lot of kids from New Jersey. And then you'd get the occasional Michael Stonebreaker from Louisiana and the Pat Terrell from uh, from Miami. And you'd get, you know, Derek Brown from Florida. Uh, not Miami, but Florida. you get occasional kid from Texas. But your home was Jersey over to Chicago was your mm-hmm. base. And you could get most of your roster that way. That's not the case anymore. Yep. They, they, they're not going to get seven or eight kids from a state anymore unless they're just taking a bunch of okay players. Just not going to happen because they can't recruit Florida like that, right? right? They're just, they're, they're not going to recruit Texas like that. I, I don't think, but so a pipeline is a place where you just know every year we need to, we need to get impact skill players. I know that we're going to find some underrated undervalued kid from Texas that can flat out run or some undervalued underrated kid from Arizona can flat out run and flat out play and not going to get the love they're supposed to. And with all due respect, Notre Dame should be able to beat Pac-12 teams with some with some success for kids. Mm-hmm. Not all of them by any stretch. Right. That would be naive. But you can go get a Benjamin Morrison. You know, maybe get it. Maybe get a Jeremiah Newcomb. I'm not saying they're going to get Jeremiah Newcomb. They just offered him today. I'm using him as an example. That's a state that I would say if you can get me at least one kid out of Arizona every year, I'm gonna probably feel pretty good about it. No doubt. You know, and they would have had one this year if Page didn't flip. You know, and that's gonna happen. That's going to happen, mm-hmm. but that's what I—that's what I'm looking for, Ryan. That's definitely an area that I would say I'd look into beyond the areas I've discussed in the past, right? Yep. Because getting kids out of Georgia, you were having some success there. That's so hard to do now with Georgia winning back-to-back titles. And guess what? Everybody else is trying to recruit Georgia now too. Recruit Georgia now too. And you know they took their swing for a lot of kids in Georgia this year and just didn't pan out. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's my. Good question, Keith. Very good question. We had another super chat down here from K Grant. Appreciate you very, very, very much for that. K Grant definitely means a lot. Let's get back up to here from Timeout Tom. Tom says, for years, teams complained about Notre Dame's grass field. We heard that it was Notre Dame's attempt to slow other teams down, whether it was true or not, or just a psychological advantage should they return to grass. Ryan, I'll let you take a first crack at this one. I mean, should they return to grass? No, I mean, it's it's – grass is done at this point right like it just is what it is i mean i i don't have a strong feeling one way or the other like i mean artificial turf kind of stinks to play on for its own reasons right like i've gotten turf burn and it is awful and it's not fun and there's some turf that is absolutely terrible but i mean it's just tom it's just where we are in the world today man like everybody wants the nice turf and if you don't think the recruits coming in also want to see the nice turf that's i mean it's easy to sell, you know, upgrading facilities, upgrading fields, all that type of stuff. I think if you start to go backwards, then you fall behind, right? Like it's pretty self-explanatory to me. So now nah, I'm, I'm up for constantly upgrading personally. I, I've always found that yeah, it was definitely psychological. It was not yeah. practical because here's the thing. There's not a speed threshold where it doesn't make you slower. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a thing where if you play on grass, a four four guy gets slowed down, but if you're a four nine, you stay a four nine. That's illogical, <laughs> right? Like, if you're a four nine, if the if the grass makes a four four guy a four six, then it's going to make the four nine guy a five one. I mean, that's just it. Just never made sense to me. Right? Everybody's a four nine guy on grass. Yeah, man. Everybody's yeah, it, it's guy. ridiculous. But the the thing that I will say is, I mean, there there are there are some benefits to playing in grass with certain styles of play. 
I think if you're a smash mouth team, I think there's some advantages to playing in grass. But honestly, I just I I don't think it's necessary. And I think the problem is is in South Bend, Indiana, it would be very, very, very expensive to have grass that you can keep in good shape throughout the year. It's just people say, well, look at the Packers. Do you know how much of the Packers spend every year on keeping their grass maintained? Like it is a ton of money. And yes, Notre Dame's got a lot of money, but they don't, they're not made of money. You know, they're not up there like chipping parts of gold off the dome to pay for like a you know a new building, right? I mean, they got to raise money for that. And and so I just I'm not someone who who thinks that they need grass back. I, I like the turf. I don't know what the issues that people have with turf. I I don't think look, you know what psychological advantage worked for Lou Holtz's teams? It wasn't grass. Because Miami played on grass. Because we're gonna beat your face in for 60 minutes. And you didn't want that. You didn't want that smoke, right? It's like dudes that would fight Mike Tyson back in the day. There were dudes that were beat before that fight even started, you know, because they're just like this. They're so afraid of him that they could they wouldn't fight their fight, right? And the few guys that hung with him, even early on in his prime, the few guys that were able to take him somewhat deeper guys that were just they they weren't afraid they they fought their fight, right? And they had certain you know they had some length and things that could kind of give him some issues or whatever. But the dudes that were afraid of him before it started, because they just, I don't want to get, I don't want to get knocked out. I don't want to get embarrassed. I don't want to get punched in the face and like get knocked out of the ring like Michael Spinks. You know what I mean? And that's what Notre Dame needs to do to people, right? I don't care what the grass or the field or the turf. I don't care. It's, I don't want to get smashed anymore. Like look at USC in 2017. That had nothing to do with grass. That had to do, I'm tired of Quentin Nelson punching me in the face. I'm tired of Quentin Nelson pancaking me on the ground and landing on top of me that 345 body i'm tired of getting beat up and so they just quit yep that's what nether names to do so the grass thing got that was an that was an nbc thing they played that up you know and it got in people's heads but you know who what guess who still won that game usc still won that game in 05 all the talk about the grass the slow down guess who won the game why because Dwayne jarrett was still fast and ambrose woods wouldn't it doesn't matter what because Reggie Bush was still faster than everybody else in that field, and it didn't matter how high the grass was. And that that's that's what the reality was. Reggie Reggie Bush moved at a different speed in college, yeah. man. He was ridiculous. Yeah. And ridiculous. Darius Walker went out of bounds and Anthony Fasano got stripped. I mean, those, those I mean, those things factored into it. But like when the game was on the line, those guys just made more plays, you know. Mm-hmm. And Brady did his part and Smarge and Stovall did their part and all that. But at the end of the day, they just couldn't stop USC, no matter how high the grass was. And they still love Darius Walker, man. They still love Darius Walker. Still should have stayed in bounds. Still yep. should have stayed in bounds. Probably should have stayed in school too. Yeah, bounds, man. yeah. <laughs> True. Milton fan fifteen says, "Really stinks. We are not playing UNC. Mac Brown is super complimentary to Notre Dame after losses to Notre Dame. They're really just a really good team. Best team we've played so far. Uh, Ryan, I have a great deal of respect for Mac Brown. He's one of the classiest coaches in the business, and." Having been around him at different coaching conventions and know people that have worked for him, that's just who he is. It's not fake. He's yeah. a good dude. Yep. Having said that, I do not want to play Drake May in year two as a starter. Are you kidding me? I got enough <laughs> things to worry like about fun, right man. now. Right? Like, like fun, hard man. pass. Uh, you know, and so no, I, I look, I don't care if a coach is complimentary to Notre Dame afterwards. I kind of like when Notre Dame co- when coaches run their mouths after games when Notre Dame just pounded their face in. It just make it brings me joy. You know, like listening to Pat Narduzzi whine after Notre Dame just beats the bricks off of them, you know, like, cool. I don't need you to be respectful because I just dominated you. So I don't care what you say about me afterwards, you know, say whatever you want. Cause look at the scoreboard. 
That's exactly. all I care about. Is it nice when a coach has respectful things? Yeah, sure. But I didn't need Mac Brown's validation after that game to know how good Notre Dame was when they were on. I just watched the game. I watched them do it for, you know, for 55 minutes, you know, they didn't do it for 60, you know, but they did it for 55. And uh, yeah. So, but I, I have a great deal of respect for Mac Brown. I just, Oh, he's great dude, man. He's great. I don't, dude. I don't want to face Drake may I'm not afraid of anybody, but it's, I already got to deal with Caleb Williams. I already got to deal with whoever Ohio state's <laughs> going to trot out there. I got to deal with Kate Klubnik. I'm going to deal with Riley Leonard. I got to deal with Brendan Armstrong. I got it. I got enough to deal with this year. If I'm Notre Dame, I don't want to have to deal with Drake may also. So pass you missed you, you missed tennessee state's quarterback you didn't say who is name. their quarterback by the way i don't know i have no idea oh, gotcha i thought it was like somebody maybe transferred there or something I, I know they have a decent running back named devon starling who may have transferred mm-hmm. i don't know but i don't okay. know who their quarterback is d rock irish said ohio state is scrambling to get quarterback depth heard they may be getting a qb out of the portal from oregon state i think that's already happened it was the gebby oh Gebbia, no, it the Ge- yeah, 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 it's yeah. a depth guy i mean they're they're literally just trying to get a emergency quarterback i mean yeah yeah, they're gonna have because it's it's basically because they don't want they they're doing what Notre Dame would be doing if Tyler Buckner didn't get hurt this year, right? We've talked about this because they're not going for Sam Hartman, in my opinion, if Tyler Buckner doesn't get hurt mm-hmm. and he develops this year. They still would have had to go to the portal because you don't you don't want Kenny Minchie to have to be your third string quarterback, mm-hmm. right? And and Ohio State's in an even better position because they had Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, Devin Brown. I've always felt as a tad overrated. I mean, number one player in the country by on three, no thanks. But he's still good, and Kyle Court's very good. They're both good players. They're certainly better than than Steve Angeli, in my view, as prospects. Uh, you know, so that's a move that Notre Dame – that's the kind of move I said that Notre Dame would have made, not him specifically, but that's the kind of move that Notre Dame would have had to make if they didn't get Sam Hartman because Tyler, they weren't looking for a starter. And that's yeah. what Ohio State's doing. Yeah, I, are, I, I think they already got him. I saw that was announced yesterday. I think you may be right. And I mean, regardless, Tristan Gebby is not starting for Ohio State no. next year. Right? If he like, is, some bad stuff went, ha- went down. Exactly. And and I think you also have to be, I mean, you have to protect yourself a little bit too, not only from just you know trying to get quality depth in a room, but also, I mean, you have two kids that were highly recruit, high, high-ranked recruits in Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, who were expecting to have a quarterback battle, right? The loser with how today's world is can't guarantee that he's going to be around that long. Right. I mean, great that's, the, point. that's the fact of it. So to gr- Ryan, that's a great point. I mean, think about that. Yeah. And then you're left with the winner and your true freshman, uh, especially that's if it, I mean, cause could you imagine if Kyle McCord loses the job? Like, why would he stick around? Like I'm out of here. I'm right. two years old. Like exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That would, that would, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And then you wonder if does Ohio State manipulate it to where they maybe tell him he's going to be the starter coming out of spring ball. Right. And you know what I mean? Yeah. uh, Yeah. Kind of like I feel like Ohio, like Ole Miss is doing to Jackson Dart right now. You know, like now the like out of nowhere, the day the portal closes, there's rumblings that Spencer Sanders might also go to Ole Miss. That's weird. On top of Walker Howard. You're like, okay. You know, you're you're just now doing that, so I hopefully, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if that happens if Jackson Dart jumps in the portal. That's right? interesting. But I think they're trying to wait till after the 18th is closed before they really announce that Spencer Sanders might be going there. If that's in fact what happens, well, so that would we'll, be we'll that would be really funky, man. Because I know Dart was up and down this year, but like the kid is talented. I would like to see him with a second. He's young, year, you know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's. I think you're gonna see a lot more coaches kind of 
focusing more every year more on this year and not building their rosters. Yeah. Especially coaches that are kind of maybe looking for that next gig, to be honest with you. And I don't think Lane, this is just my guess, my opinion. I don't know Lane Kiffin. I don't know anyone that knows him. I'm just telling you my opinion based on his career. I don't view Oxford, Mississippi as like his desired dream des- final destination. Like this is where I'm going to be till I'm retired destination. Right. I don't, I don't think that's the case. So what do you got to do? You got to win as much as you can now to be in position to get that next job. It's kind of how I see it. It's true. We'll see 2.0. Mailbag question. Is there any player left from the team that lost to Miami 2017 Notre Dame's last ACC regular season loss? So all those guys that were on that team were 60 years this year. Mm-hmm. So like Josh Lug, that 2017 class of like Josh Lug. And I think, uh, I think he was their only sixth year this past year, Ryan, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he was the only kid left from that team, if I remember correctly. Because you're, oh, oh, Avery Davis would have been. Yes. So him and Avery Davis were, were the only two. I'm pulling up that class right now. Because uh, you obviously Javar Armstrong's not here. Myron's gone. Heinish is gone. Michael Young, Brock Wright, Cole Komet, CJ Holmes. Gibbons, Gibbons is still in college, but not at Notre Dame. Hainsey and Banks from the NFL, David Adams, Drew White, Jeremiah Wusukor, Moa, Jonathan Dorr, Darnell Yule, Myron Tungvalo, Mosa, Jonathan McAllister, Kofi Wardlow, Isaiah Robertson, and Jordan Jim Markeith. So, yeah, Davis and Lug were the only two left, and they're both gone. So, yeah, there's nobody left from that team. David Adams was the Pittsburgh kid that just had bad shoulders, right? Yeah. That was him? Yep. Yeah. Yep. He's a good football player. He's a good he football was. player. Just couldn't, couldn't, he just was undersized and couldn't stay healthy. Yep. I'm looking at the 2018 team. All the receivers are gone. The tight ends are gone. The running backs are gone. Quarterbacks gone. All the offensive linemen are now gone because Jarrett Patterson was left. All the linebackers are gone. All the D linemen are gone. Wilkins, yeah. Literally, the only guy left from the 2018 class is, which is the last, the, the first playoff team for Notre Dame is um, uh, from that freshman class is DJ Brown. Hmm. So they were post 2017, obviously. So yeah. yeah, not it's crazy how time goes by, you know, and certain classes end up producing a lot better than people think, and others that you think are gonna be great end up not doing a whole lot. It is wild how that happens. Yes. Here's one I know you're gonna like, Ryan. Okay. It's from Clay Murphy. Has anybody watched Luke Couch's highlights? Dude is electric. So, real quick, Clay. Uh, I don't recognize your name in the chat, so you may be a new listener. I would encourage you to go back to our signing day show. We had Luke and Jordan Faison and Henry Garrity, three of their better preferred walk-ons on the show. And as we were talking to Luke, we had his film on, and then we evaluated him a little bit afterwards. So I'm going to let Ryan answer the question. But if you want just a more detailed uh, breakdown of of him and a chance to hear from Luke himself, I would encourage you to listen to that. It was definitely a long show. It was definitely the second half of the show. So you'll be able to quickly scroll through and find where Luke and Jordan were on there together. So Ryan, just – because this isn't a guy that a lot of people talk about. This is no. a Division One caliber football player who had Division One offers. This kid's a good football player. Yeah, I mean, so he was an he was a underrated recruit from a recruiting ranking perspective because he plays in Wyoming, right? Like he's a Wyoming safety, 6'3", 185 pounds. You watch his film, and I know people were talking about it in the chat a little bit earlier, but kid is ferocious, man. Like that's the best word to put it. Like he is pretty good athlete good athlete overall but man he comes with force he comes to balance as a tackler he's a ferocious hitter he really is and he had offers to brian's point from 
Utah, Washington State. I mean, there were several Pac-12 schools that wanted Luke Tolich to come and play on a scholarship. <laughs> like, he wasn't just like a preferred walk-on sc- offer. Like, he was had legit scholarship offers, right? And n- the fact of the matter is, is that his family is very pro-Notre Dame. He's very pro-Notre Dame. He grew up a Notre Dame fan. I mean, he didn't make it like it was very well known that he was a Notre Dame fan. So despite the fact that they had so many, uh, he had a bunch of offers to him, Luke Tolich decided that Notre Dame is the best spot for me. And I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it. I haven't seen him in Notre Dame uniform yet. Don't know what it looks like. But I wouldn't be surprised if this kid is not a walk, a preferred walk-on, a walk-on status for very long. Like this is that type of kid because he's a, it's a good football player, man. And there were several Pac-12 teams that wanted him. So I like Luke a ton. And that was one part that me and Brian, I know we talked about it like during the show or maybe even before it. It's like we're talking about all like the 24 kids in the class, which for very good reason. But Notre Dame got some dudes as walk-ons this mm-hmm. year, man. Like some really good players. But that Jordan Faison kid had an offer from Iowa and he decided to come to Notre Dame. Luke Tolich had several offers. You know, Henry Garrity is a kid that's a really talented tight end that still needs to grow into his body. Like, Notre Dame got some really, really talented walk-ons in the 2023 class. Yeah, agree. Agree. It's a – they've upped. And there's a, there's another kid they're trying to get, and I don't think he's committed anywhere yet. The Ryan Mooney kid from Michigan. Yeah, the wide receiver. That kid can fly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, know, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to get him, but I know they're I, – I believe they're still trying to get him. I believe. He would be so a nice guy, man. He's yeah, 6'4 and can run. Yeah. yeah <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's get to some more questions here, Ryan. Hunter Land, I'm finally going to uh, my first home game for the Ohio State game. What area of the stadium do you recommend trying to get tickets? I'll just say this I don't think there's a bad seat in the house. Mm-hmm. I think that's the nice thing about playing in a bowl, is there's really no bad angle. Agree. I personally love sitting up near the top because Notre Dame stadium is not super high. Like a lot of, like if you get to the top of Ohio stadium, you're way up there. Like when we were in the press box, we were way up there. Yeah. We're in the press box in Notre Dame, Ryan. I think were you, were you in the press box for one of the, I haven't been in the press there box yet? yet. All right. No, you're not that high compared mm-hmm. to other places. So I love sitting at the top of the stadium. Cause then if you can get like a row, a seat at the very top, it's cool. Cause you can stand up. You can lean back on the you know the 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 walls, all that type of thing. So you get a sideline anywhere from the twenties up high is my preferred seating. Just for me, is where I prefer to sit. So, but that's just some people like being lower where they can see things. It just depends on what you view. But yeah. honestly, Ryan, it, it, the only seats that I think are bad are the ones that are some of the most expensive. Those really low seats right behind the players because you can't see over some of those guys sometimes. Yes. So middle to up to me are phenomenal seats just as far as seeing the game. I remember we went to the spring game last year and at first we were going to sit like lower down. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going up a little bit. You know, I need that yeah. coach. I need that little bit of that eye in the sky coaches view, you know, like that too low just is not the thing. I agree completely. But I've been in. I've been in both end zones. I've been in the middle section. Like, I mean, to your point, Brian, I'd really just, I don't think there's a bad seat in the house. I agree with you on that. I personally don't like end zone views personally. Sure. Some people do, but the point is there's not an end zone view that's necessarily overly restrictive from a vision standpoint, if you're someone who likes that. So I, I really think there's, yeah. Somebody asked, Tavis McKay said, uh, which end zone side does the band play at? Some uh, trying to influence my potential ticket purchase. Somebody north else side, said it's right? the north side. I always yeah. say the band's always on the opposite side of the scoreboard. 
Yeah, because you know the north, south, east, whatever. It's they're opposite the scoreboard. Because the one thing you know is when you look at the tickets, they're going to have where the scoreboard is, and it's the opposite the scoreboard. The other team's band is on the corner of where the on the scoreboard side. Elizabeth Crook, thank you for advice on this one. Says go to Dublin. It's an amazing city. What we were talking about is we would go not stay in Dublin, but visit Dublin. Because I heard mm-hmm. Dublin's very expensive to stay in, but we would stay like outside the city and then just obviously drive in and commute. Because I also want to get out on the the you know see some of the rest of the island myself. Here, here's a question from JP Buellsfeld, my guy. Well, most difficult to least difficult, Ohio State, USC, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, Central Michigan, and Tennessee State. Most difficult to least? Yeah, I, I think mean, he nailed it, to be honest with you. Um, I think he has it right. Most difficult to least yeah. difficult of the of those six teams, I, I think you got it right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I was like, I was like looking, I was like, I would really change that too much. Yeah, so no, JP, I think you nailed it, man. I do. Of those six teams, I definitely think that those are that's in order. You can maybe nitpick Pitt and Wake Forest, but I, I think Pitt Wake Forest fans are going to be very surprised at how important Sam Hartman was to that football team. And, very surprised. Wake, Wake Forest lost a lot, man. They lost yep. a lot. A whole lot. Pitt's bringing it. I mean, they lost a running back, but they're bringing a decent amount back, and you ha- you upgraded your quarterback position, so it yeah. should be better. Irish Blooded says, asks, have you guys thought about doing a tailgate for the Blue Gold game? We did last year. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll probably do that again if the weather's good, Brian, because you were that was your first time I was in one yeah. of our tailgates was for the Blue Gold game. Matt yep. Romero asked, Brian, would you still support Notre Dame or still support Notre Dame still playing Navy if they stopped playing the triple option? Well, I hate the triple option. So them going away from it would make it even better for me. But as you know, I think Matt's kind of being funny. But as you know, my reasons for playing Navy have nothing to do with what offense or defense they run. It's the tradition yes. of, of that one. So Nathan Hill with a question, Ryan, is there a realistic chance that Sam Hartman can win the Heisman? I mean – yeah, is there a it's chance? There's, there's a it's chance. Realistic. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's should he be a favorite? I wouldn't put him as a favorite, but no. I mean, if Notre Dame is eleven and one or twelve and zero at the end of the season, and Sam Hartman's played good football throughout, I mean, Heisman is a is a quarterback award at this point. Look, like, let's call it what it is. It is. Uh, so, a, like, no, let's be clear. It's a quarterback of one of the top teams award because yes. Max Dugan was not even the third best player or the second best player on his offense this year. He was. No. At best, the third best player on their offense. Kendra Miller was a better player than him. Quentin Johnson was a better player than him. But he was the starting mm-hmm. quarterback on a top four playoff team. That's why he was yes. in the Heisman finalist. And so if Notre Dame is 11 and 1, 12 and 0, and they beat USC and he somewhat goes head to head or outduels Caleb Williams, then yeah, he'll have a shot. I'm not predicting it. I'm not saying, I mean, I'd have him in my top 10 preseason list at the bottom of the top 10 because he's a quarterback on a team that I think is. Going to be pretty good this year. I think he yeah. came out. I think there was an odd that came out that had him at fifth, I think, to start the year. So, yeah, yeah. is it realistic? Yeah, it's a little possible. too high for me, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, yeah, I could see that. Indy Estimate Trucking LLC. Uh, Brian Wise, Howard Cross, never mentioned as a potential starter at Third Tech. Let me stop you there. He is. Uh, I talked about this in my replacing Jason Adamiola article, which was up mm-hmm. last week. I talked about him. But the reality is is because he is a starter at Nose Tackle. Can't start at two positions. Now, if he is, if he moves and they want to get him over, then fine, play him. I personally would rather see Howard Cross coming off the bench. And that's not because I don't think Howard Cross is a really good football player. I think he's been a pretty darn disruptive player. It's just, I could point to all the data 
He is really good in games where either has limited snaps or early in the season because he's 275 pounds and he's six feet tall. He wears down. And so if he's coming off the bench and, and when he's in the game, Howard, I want you getting to the football. That's my goal. So his reps per impact plays ratio, if he was used the way that I think he should be used, would be incredibly high. But then you'd also have him playing well in November because he's faded in November like each of the last two years when he's had to play a lot of snaps early. That's just the reality of it. But he was a starter last year. He's already a starter at nose tackle. So I don't know why I would project him to be a starter three technique when he's already starting at nose. And there's nobody that right now has proven to be capable of taking the nose job from him. And the other reason is because Riley Mills is a better player. That's why Riley Mills would be projected to start there. Yeah, I mean, that, that's I, I think that's the key point is that, I mean, who's going to start at nose, right? Are you comfortable with Gabriel Rubio being the full-time starter? Are you comfortable? Like, just don't know that, right? I mean, the one thing about Howard Cross is that he's a known commodity, right? Like, at the end of the day, I mean, I agree in theory, and I'm not even saying starter, Howard Cross should be playing three-tech, in my opinion. He should be from a play style perspective. He's six foot, 275 pounds. He's a one-gap penetration style player. In, a, in the perfect world, he and Riley Mills are the tandem at three tech, right? Like that is the perfect world in my opinion, but you need to find that answer at nose tackle. And I mean, it's just, I, again, I, I like Gabriel Rubio. I think he showed some good things this past season. I think that he has potential. I know there's a couple other guys on the, the, the you know, if, if an Aiden Kiana Ana could stay healthy, maybe he could give sure. you some snaps, but like you just don't have no commodities right now. At nose, and he's still your starter because you're not going to, there's yes. no one on your roster that's going to be a nose tackle and play 50 snaps. 100%. Nobody, not Rubio, not Kiana Ana. Nobody's going to give you that many snaps and nose. Nobody. And so it, that's, that's kind of where it is. But I got nothing but respect for him. As far as when I Google you, why does it come up as a musical artist? Elaborate, please. I have no idea. What? That's not me. I didn't do that. What? Yeah. So I've never Googled myself. So I, I didn't even really read the that. second part of that question. Yeah, that I don't, so I've, I'm not one of those guys. I know people like this. They'll Google their name all the time. See, and I'm yeah. like, I just, I Googled myself once because I was trying to look for a baseball article that got written about me in high school so I could show it to my wife because she was doubting my pitching prowess back in the day. So <laughs> I had to, did you I had find to it? show her. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, nice. I did. Uh, broke neck boy, what is the greatest NFL college offense and defense of all time? Uh, NFL, I mean, I still think it's that Rams, the first, the first Rams team with Kurt. Greatest Warner. show on I, turf. Yeah, I think yeah. so. The first yeah. one, not the one that lost next year, but the first one is still to me. The Chiefs team recently was pretty good, but like the difference between that Rams team and the recent Chiefs team is that Rams team did it when they could still play defense in the NFL. Yep, that's the difference. As we saw in the Dude. Super Bowl the next year when the Rams were getting held nonstop by Ty Law on the picture corners. <laughs> It's a different conversation for a different day. Uh, greatest defense of all time. I mean, it's got to be the '85 Bears or one of those Lawrence say. Tyler or or one of those Lawrence Taylor Giants teams from the '80s. Those were great teams. The Ravens that year they won the Super Bowl were pretty good. I don't think they were as good as the Bears and the Giants from the '80s, in my opinion. I just I don't. Uh, college. I mean, I think the LSU team from 2019 is the greatest offensive team I've ever that's seen. Best offense I've ever seen. Yeah, because like, yeah. they could run, they could nuts. throw. They had elite players everywhere. They were phenomenal. Best defense yes. of all time in college? Boy, that's a tough one. Maybe one of the uh, Nebraska 90 teams, right? Like yeah, they were, like they were nasty. good. Alabama yeah. had some filthy defenses. in the. Their 2012 defense was insane. Oh, how I mean, about that? Um, yeah. The no, it's the actually, I'd say the 11 defense might even been even better. Because if you think about that Alabama team in 2011, they gave up 8.2 points per game. 
Their yeah. only loss that year to LSU, they lost nine to six. And then they got a rematch against LSU in the championship game and beat them 21 to nothing. That team, that team, Ryan, here's here's what they gave up that year. Seven points, 11 points, zero points, 14 points to number five, Arkansas. 10 points, zero points, seven points, six points, nine points, seven points, 14 points against Auburn and zero points against LSU. The most points they gave up all year that year was to 21. Ryan, I'll give you a $100 raise if right now you can name who that team was in three seconds. No, nope, Georgia Southern. Nice. Scored nice. 21. That team gave up more than 21, 20 points once all year in this era of college football. That mm-hmm. was the filthiest defense I've seen in a long time. A long I remember, time. I remember growing up that that early 2000s Miami hurricane defense yeah. was just dumb, man. That was yeah, a that dumb was, defense. Yeah. It was just ridiculous, yeah. man. It really was. Big but, like, that, that would have been a neck then, though. That's yeah. my only that's sure. my only knock. But talent wise, it was just dude. That was like a it was like an it was like a Pro Bowl roster on a defense yeah. and on offense yeah. too. But on defense, it's that just like... that was probably the most talented defense I've ever seen. The '90s Nebraska teams were pretty sick too. Yeah, they, they, they really were, Ryan. I mean, they they had some really good, really good football teams. I'm going to see it real quick here. The year like that Grant, they beat Florida, Grant Winstrom and stuff, right? Like they were. Oh, and they had like Jason Peter. I mean, th- those teams yeah. were like those teams were disgusting. But but they also had some really really nasty linebackers back then. But their '94 uh, team was that the one? No, that's the team that beat Miami. Then it was '95. Was that really crazy yes. team? Yes. That year they gave up 14.5 points per game and playing in a Big 12 that gave up a lot of points. And part of it was because they gave up 28 points in a game where they scored 77. They just scored so fast that teams could score. I mean, and they would give up points late in the game because they were blowing teams out. They'd score points on their backups and still only give up 14 points a game. That was a crazy good defense. Crazy good defense. Let's get to some more because Ryan's got to get out of here. Uh, Vincent Stark says, I wonder if that's Irish coffee Brian is drinking. I will only occasionally drink. I'm not really a coffee drinker. We got some stuff with trade coffee that my wife got that I thought was really good. It was like it was like, it like caramel mothballs in it or something like that. It was really good. I'm not really a coffee guy. That's tea. I'm a black tea kind of guy with honey. So you can see me, you can see me squeezing the honey over here. Um, next question, Irish Blood. Any idea who'll be running the scout team next year? Would it be Angeli or Minchie or both in some respects? I'd imagine both in some respects, but I would think Minchie more so often than not. This is an easy one, Ryan. Which are you more excited about from Milton Fan 15? Which are you more excited about the 2004 recruiting class or the 2023 season, Ryan? For me, it's the season. It's always yeah, it's the always season. the season. Always the season. Yeah. I mean, it's and exciting. The season it's ex- leads to success in the recruiting class. 100%. That's what I was going to say, partly. And then also, I mean, like, it's exciting about the players that they're getting in on and stuff, right? But, like, at the core of it, why do we fall in love with football? It's watching the games, right? Like, right. watching and experiencing those atmospheres. So it's 100% the game. Here's a fun one that we might not agree on. Caleb Collins asks, who had better highlights, Tavon Austin, Lamar Jackson, or DeAnthony Thomas? First of all, DeAnthony Thomas was good. He doesn't belong in this conversation. I was going to say it's it's in order already. It's in order already, in my opinion. Close, close. I would say Tavon had the sickest highlight. Like the stuff he – Lamar's to me was the best because he was so dynamic in so many different ways, in my opinion. But Tavon had the most insane highlight you might – the only person that can compete with Tavon Austin from just a stupid highlight film is R- Barry Sanders in 88 and Reggie Bush in Reggie 05. Bush, 05. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Tavon's highlights were sick. He was playing against you know, a, not a great Big East. But yes. Lamar, to me, was the most dominant sing- single-season quarterback I've seen in a long time as far as like highlight plays, highlight real yeah. plays. 
as a passionate thrower. He was he was nuts. There's also no highlight tape that I watch that makes me laugh more than Tavon Austin. Like it is just yes. so funny. It's like so. you feel bad for guys sometimes. You really do. John Faulkner Ooh. with a super chat. Thank you, John. How does Notre Dame's quarterback room stack up against the other quarterback rooms on the schedule in 2023? I'll say this, Ryan. They do not have the best starter on next year's schedule, but yeah. I'll put their room top to bottom against anybody's because I'm not a big Malachi Nelson fan, to be honest with you. And then after that's what Miller Moss. Yeah. You know, so they've got the number one, but if you take the whole group into consideration, I think Notre Dame's quarterback room top to bottom is as good as anybody's because the second best player on, on USC's roster this year is going to be Malachi Nelson. Who's a freshman who I think I have some questions about attitude wise. I'll take Tyler Buckner over Malachi Nelson any day of the week. And I'll take Kenny Minchie over Miller Moss any day of the week. Now, I'll take Caleb Williams over anybody Notre Dame has any day of the week. That's what I'm saying, top to bottom. Best starter? No, they don't. Yeah. Maybe maybe second. Maybe. Yeah. You know, uh, Kate Klubnik's up there, but I don't like that room after him. Uh, Ohio State's really good one and two, inexperienced. And then what do they have after that? So the South, uh, the South Dakota kid coming in. Yeah. Like, yeah uh, I just, yeah. you know, I'll take Kenny Minchie over him. He's a good player, but I'd good say – yeah. Notre Dame and USC to me have the two best quarterback rooms that are, that are of the teams on the schedule. In my now, and NC he, State's got a surprisingly good quarterback room. That's what, that's what I was about to say, man. I was about yeah. to say you. I mean, if you're not a big Brendan Armstrong fan, that's fine. But like MJ Morse is pretty talented, right? But he ben has Finley shown. Did a good job. It, here's the thing: in that offense, in that league, he has shown he can put up big numbers. Yes. So I may not want him at Notre Dame to win a championship, but there's no doubt he can put up numbers in that offense, in yep. that league. He's already done yep. it. Right and MJ and, and Ben Finley, Ben Finley was rock solid down the yeah. stretch for them. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. No, no doubt, no doubt. So let's get to a few more here. Uh, Ryan Colton Simpson says, "Do you think it's possible? Uh, hard to teach an old dog new tricks in regards to alignment. Thought about that when someone on the board brought up Bray Walker grad transfer. I'm I'm good with out looking yes. at Bray Walker. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm good. It, it, a dude would have to be a a guy would have to be a really good player to meet right right now for me to bring him in. Either center or guard, he'd have to be really good. In my and Bray, Wa- Bray Walker wasn't even a starter for Oklahoma, and their right. offensive line hasn't been good in a couple of years either. Yeah, so. I agree. John DeCristio said, uh, with Super Chase says, 1966 Notre Dame defense only gave up 38 points all year. It was a it was insane defense. But here's the thing. I have always said from day one, John, I know you've heard me say this, I only talk about teams that I've seen play. Yeah, it was a different game. Different. I I can't speak about how good the. I can just look at the stats. I watched Nebraska in the nineties. I've watched the Bears from eighty five. I've watched. You know, so I. That's why I try to not get into like, well, this team from back in the such and such and things like that. I just, I, I look at what I know and what I've seen. Right, but the if you look at the numbers of that sixty six teams defense, it was nuts, Ryan. I mean, mm-hmm. they had I think like six or seven shutouts that year. It was. It was really insane. I'm actually going to pull it up here real quick just to give you a point. They won 26-14 over number fourteen, uh, number seven Purdue, then 35-7, 35-0, 32-0, 38-0 38-0 31-7, over Pitt, 64-0 over Duke, 10-10 tie against number two Michigan State on the road where Notre Dame's best running back got hurt before the game. Their quarterback was out, still tied. And then they played number 10 USC on the road and won 51 to nothing. Three times they played top 10 teams that year. They beat those teams 51 to nothing, 31 to nothing, or 38 to nothing. Or excuse me, twice they played top 10 teams on the road. 
and they won 51 to nothing, uh, 38 to nothing, and tied 10 to 10 over the number two team. That mm-hmm. team, but I never saw the team play. So I can't really tell you, but it was impressive statistically. Even in that era where it wasn't high-octane offenses, it was impressive. John Faulkner with the Super Chat as well. Every college football program puts together their all-time team. What program has the best team, best offense, best defense? Oh, boy. I mean, that, that, that'd be hard for me. I mean, Miami's the one that pops in my head defensively. USC's the one that pops in my head offensively. Yeah. I mean, you put USC's – I mean, you got Anthony Munoz at tackle – you know, Tony Baselli at the other tackle, right? Uh, is, yeah, Baselli played it yes, at he did. USC, right? Yep, he did. You've got pick a quarterback, pick a running back. You know what I mean? Talk about Anthony Davis might be third or fourth string at running back, you know, behind OJ and, you know, Charles Reggie Davis and, and Reggie. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, yeah. it just, it'd be a nuts, a nuts team offensively. Miami's teams from the 80s and 90s and the 2000s alone on defense are just going to be. Who's who of Hall of Fame elite high level players? So that that, that two thousand or two thousand one Miami team, you could just say by that itself, that's the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> it's just nuts. So that that probably be off the top of my head, John. That's a really good question. That that probably be it. And here's here's the last one, Ryan. We're gonna end on this one because I know you got to go and, and I got to get rolling. But here, here's the last one. Here we're gonna go real quick, Ryan, because I know how much you love questions like this. I say sarcastically. Uh, somebody asked, "Who is the best?" rap five greatest rappers of all time one brian two brian three brian so number one uh i'm i'd be a terrible rapper okay so we did have some fun with that the other day because somebody asked about me and sean who'd be the better rapper and uh so for me again this is personal preference honestly i I, for me like i'm not a big jay-z fan but some people say jay-z i've never listened to kendrick lamar i can't put him in there for me it's it's tupac it's rakim it's biggie smalls it's nas and it's eminem because to me, a great rapper is someone who's a great lyricist, number one, and someone who also entertains, right? The music's got to sound good, and then the, the lyrics have got to be, be good. Like Raekwon the Chef sounds phenomenal, but then you listen to the lyrics, and he's saying a bunch of nothing. He's just like rhyming things together. He's not actually saying anything. Those guys are all great lyricists because they say something, and they have great music. So um, as far as individuals, that's that's mine. But Rakim, is, Rakim and Nas are probably – the best lyricist of that group. Tupac was always, was a great lyricist, but also an entertainer. Same with Biggie and, and same with, uh, with Eminem, obviously. So that would be my five, Ryan. And that's what, how we're going to end today's show on that. I know how much love you love talking about rap, uh, you know, cause you know, have no clue what we're talking about. So, but it's all good. So anyway, that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Tons of fun. We'll be back to our breakdown next or tomorrow of our position group. And we're going to, Ryan, what do you think about starting off with linebackers tomorrow? You think that's a good place to start? Let's look kind of looking at the state of the state of where things are right now um, with, uh, with the linebacker position. So we'll go coaching, current roster, future, all that stuff. It'll be a lot of fun. And then, of course, Friday, Ryan, it's mailback time. So we've got some things we'll be announcing here very soon. So anyway, everybody, awesome, great, great questions today. It was fun being with you all today. And somebody said, Master P, get the heck out of here Master P stuff. No Limit Soldiers were trash. Anyway, have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you all again very, very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.